You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to shine a spotlight on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Make him more beautiful and believable to us for being here this evening and Show us his glory. Amen. So, some of you may not know this, but my position here at Cathedral Church of the Advent, on my business card, it says, Canon for Liturgy and Worship. And that's just fancy cathedral speak for an associate pastor whose job it is, among many other things, to oversee our worship services. And I think a lot about things like this, how our liturgy and the church calendar shapes us as a community, how it forms us into mature disciples of Jesus Christ. And here's one thing I've noticed about my own soul in being in a liturgical tradition year in and year out. It seems like as our world gets more fast and frenzied, more frenetic in ADD, the liturgical calendar, even though it's been moving the same for hundreds of years, it seems to go more slowly and plods along. And I'm grateful that in this quick and busy climate, that I'm forced to slowly relive the life of Christ each year as it's stretched out and as the seasons unravel. You know, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, and Lent. And here we are tonight on Palm Sunday. You know, the longer uh, I am a Christian, the weirder Palm Sunday gets. The church, like the crowds on that first Palm Sunday, on Palm Sundays they get a little more hyped and festive. You know, you're at the Lenten home stretch and you can almost see the pasteled outfits and fancy hats just waiting to pop out on Easter, right? But the festivities of Palm Sunday, they, they rightly feel like a false start because before the pastels of Easter, you have to hurdle the black of Good Friday. And maybe that's not the best way to say it because we don't really hurdle Good Friday. We sort of crash into it and fall to pieces. What I'm saying is that Palm Sunday should feel weird. It should feel like a contradiction. Our liturgy in all our services this day actually reflects this. We start with festivity, as Matt was telling us. The narrative of the triumphal entry and up-tempo hymns. And we will end with a, a solemn reading about the crucifixion and sing in response to that, ride on to die. Yes, Palm Sunday is a contradiction. You know, we have hints in the text here in Luke, and that's the text I want to look at, the, the Palm Sunday narrative on page 5 in your bulletin, or in Luke 19. We have hints in this very text that Luke, the gospel writer, was aware of this eerie contradiction. Did you notice it? I think among the gospel writers, he actually points it out the most using some place markers. It's there in verse 29 of chapter 19. Luke says, When Jesus drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet. Olivet. Well, that's the place just two chapters later where almost everything literally goes to hell. 
Luke points out the place marker of Olivet, which is the Mount of Olives, just before Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And then the Mount of Olives comes into focus four years later on that dreadful Maundy Thursday when Jesus is betrayed into the hands that would send him to his crucifixion. Sunday's Mount of Olives, a celebrity's parade. And Thursday's Mount of Olives, a death sentence. But that's not the only contradiction. And this, where, this is kind of where it gets a little more personal. It's what Matt pointed out and what many preachers point out about the crowds themselves and about the, how the crowds are a contradiction too. On Sunday, they're praising Jesus, and on Friday, they're murdering him. And if you and I are honest, we see our very selves in both those crowds. Our day-to-day existence is one big contradiction of Palm Sunday style, Jesus, I love you, you're my all in all, and then Good Friday style, Jesus, I hate you, I'm going to do my own thing. I mean, do you feel it like I do? This is how ugly it is for me, and this is no exaggeration. I can go from leading the praises of the people with joy and conviction at a Sunday service, and then an hour later, an hour later, I found myself losing my top, screaming at my kids, or fighting back the most vile thoughts imaginable. Contradiction, right? And what's funny is that the watching world is always pointing out the hypocrisy of the church and they're right. Several months ago, I was having a candid conversation with someone in our church who wouldn't consider himself a Christian, who was saying that this is the reason why he can't be down with organized religion. They say one thing and they do another. They preach a God of love and grace, but their lives are only judgment and self-righteousness. And he's right, because we're all contradictions. I think David Zoll, he was on to something when I heard him recently point out that going to church should feel less like a parade of the beautiful and perfect and much more like a clandestine, slightly embarrassed HA meeting. Hippo- Hypocrites Anonymous is what he said. Perhaps our best response to the world that tells us we're hypocrites is a sheepish but honest, guilty as charged, God help us. God help me. Why? Because we are the crowd on Palm Sunday. And at the same time, we are the crowd on Good Friday. We are a contradiction. You know, if I had spiritual x-ray vision, and I could look into your heart right now, and I'm really glad I don't have that, because I have enough trouble seeing into my own heart. But if I had that vision and could look into your heart right now, what kind of contradiction would I see there? What painful or maybe even embarrassing cancer would I find growing right there next to your vascular tissue in your spiritual life? Maybe you're a middle schooler or a high schooler or a college student struggling for the first time with owning your own faith against the tidal wave, the tidal wave of very unchristian or anti-Christian concepts and behaviors emerging, emerging from your peers in school. And instead of being bold in your faith, you just want to run and hide, or at least conform and hopefully not look so different. Or maybe you know that you should honor your parents above all else, but they're actually the last people that you end up showing respect to. 
you're a contradiction. Or maybe you're someone who's at that place in life where the ideals that drove your younger self have all but vanished from view. You used to have such strong convictions about things, and maybe you still have them, but now you have become the very thing you were so convicted that you'd never become. You weren't going to be one of those mid-career startovers. You weren't going to be one of those people with no savings and retirement plan. You weren't going to be one of those divorce statistics. You weren't going to be one of the ones who has the kids that go off the rails. You weren't going to be one of those waspy suburbanites whose life was so consumed by materialism that there's no room for justice anymore. You weren't going to be the one still single in your 30s. Contradiction, right? You know, I've been thinking a lot about singleness lately, perhaps because we've been tiptoeing around the topic in our preaching through 1 Corinthians, which addresses it in several spots, or because perhaps God's graciously put a lot of single people in my life with whom I've had a lot of real and meaningful conversations. Just this past week, I was having a really powerful conversation with a wise and godly single woman who's both self-aware and at the same time straining to cling to God's word and promises. I was telling this person my observation about the experience of singleness as a contradiction. You know, I was thinking about this passage and the way that it kind of hit the ache of the single person. And I was noting that it's hard for a single person, maybe especially in the church, where it seems like everybody's married and familyed up, not to feel like every voice around them is a voice of judgment, reminding them of their aloneness. You know, the loneliest time of the week for a single person is often right after church, when all the families go out to lunch. The worst kind of compliment a single person can hear is, you're going to find your match soon. I mean, you're such a catch. I don't understand why they're not flocking to you. And a single person doesn't hear that as hope or as encouragement, but judgment. Well, why aren't they flocking to me? Why am I still here like this? Judgment, judgment, judgment. Contradiction. I was saying all this to the single person I was talking to, and here's my summary of her response. She said, that's true, Zach, but that's not where I feel the ache the most. She said, even if I have good friends, even good married friends who spend time with me and include me in their activities, I still have to be my own first person. I can have the best of friends and the richest of community, but I don't have someone who's waking up and their first thought is of me. The contradiction felt by the single person might just be that while I have people that love me, I don't have anyone that loves me first. Wow. That's an honest and powerful word. This person had the courage to take the contradiction that she felt as a single Christian woman and pull it out of the darkness of her heart and speak it into the light and hold it there. And the question is, where is Jesus in the middle of all of this? You see, we've been focusing on geographical topography, you know, the Mount of Olives, and the schizophrenic mind shift of us 
the contradictory crowd which admits the hypocrisy of being both Palm Sunday worshipers and Good Friday murderers. And in the middle of all that confusion is one single man on a donkey. And did you hear me say single? I kind of meant it both ways. One man, utterly alone. In fact, he's just as alone while you're praising him on Palm Sunday as he is while you're crucifying him on Good Friday. This man, Jesus Christ, utterly alone, chooses in that moment on Palm Sunday and in this moment right now, as you're hearing me, to ride headlong into your contradiction and to die there without flinching. Our glorious Savior looks at you dead in the eyes, seeing very clearly the hypocrite that you are and all the contradictory pain that you bear and becomes himself the contradiction to undo ours. What contradiction did he become? How about this? The immortal God dies. The conquering God is defeated. The victorious God loses. The strong God becomes weak. The most beautiful being becomes an ugly wretch. The righteous judge places himself under your judgment. The king lays down a golden crown for a crown of thorns. And the God who is clothed in splendor and light is stripped naked on a shameful cross. Now, if that's not a contradiction, I don't know what is. And here's what you need to hear in this moment. From God's mouth to your ears. And I don't want this to sound hallmarky. It must sound like the deepest truth that you've ever heard, and it must resonate in your heart and in your soul. In this moment, when the solitary Jesus sets his face like flint on that cross, he does so singularly for you. You who hear this word are his first person. And what I mean by this is that Jesus becomes the contradiction not merely for some generalized outpouring of love for the sins of the whole world, as much as that's true, but he does so for you, for your pain, for your story, for your sin, for your contradiction, for you. For you, he rides on. For you, he subjects himself to death. And hypocrites everywhere cry, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.